Get a spot marked in your Bibles in the book of James because we're going to be there for a while. So if you don't have your Bibles open already there after looking at the bulletin, I love the people who uh, come to church and they just get right into it. I mean, they're in their bulletin. And you, so if you want to get points with the pastor, I mean, just be in your, you know, be ready. But uh, the book of James is going to be our place of study for the next number of weeks. I love this picture that is up on the screen, James, Authentic Faith in Action. Now, we're going to talk a lot about authentic faith in this book, and I'm excited about that. I'm just excited in general. I already kind of told you I got jazzed in yearly meeting. I got to reconnect with some of the pastor guys that I just kind of made as acquaintances. We've got new ministers coming into the fold, so it was exciting to meet them, um, meet some old acquaintances with uh, lay members in other churches and get to know them better. You know, we went for barely knowing each other's name to slapping each other on the backs and just just a really neat time to connect with people in our yearly meeting besides Vancouver First Friends. And I, so I'm just going to put a plug in. You may not have a position in yearly meeting. You may not be a representative of our church, although if you'd like to be, we could talk about that. I would just encourage you to take time to get to know the people around us within our church context. God has called us to a spiritual community and uh, we love it when they come to us, but I would encourage you to go to them and find ways to make connections and see what God is doing around um, our yearly meeting. We got to meet together for the first time with, uh, with me being able to join them with the Board of Local Outreach, and um, all the other pastors right now are from Idaho. So they didn't bring bags of potatoes or anything, but we had a really neat time of fellowship. There's... Um, um, a couple of um, senior members, there's a couple of us who are younger, but I'm by far the youngest by 10 years, but we just, um, we felt enthused as a ministry of yearly meeting that there's a new leader. Um, now you can see his, name, his picture up on the screen. If we can go to the next slide. There he is, uh, Dr. Jim Lashana and his wife will be coming from Kansas in, in early, mid-fall, um, but just, just just really excited for new leadership and new direction. And, and, I, and I'm newer on the scene in yearly meeting than many in that gathering or even here. But even I've been um, distracted, concerned, kind of frustrated with um, the lack of direction and purpose that we've had over the last number of years, and at least in a gathered group context. And um, decisions were made and changes were implemented that have kind of um, decided some issues, and now we move forward. And I am just, I'm just thrilled to know that I can be a part of it. I'm excited for my brothers and sisters in yearly meeting that was there. I was talking to a couple of the guys that I got to know better than others, and, and by the time the, the, the week was over, in different parts during the week when there was a call to action or there was just a really um, good spirit in worship, where it's like, we just wanted to stand up and say, let's go. And I still feel that way, that God is leading and God is directing within our group context as churches within yearly meeting of First Friends, and I am just excited to be a part of it. There's new leadership. I know there's going already been with the task force talking about new vision and new hunger and new directions. There's been a lot of focus on bettering communication within Northwest Yearly Meeting, so we had liaisons from, the, from different committees joining into the other ones so that we could have fresh input and a different perspective and a needed perspective. 
and talking about what tomorrow could look like within yearly meeting of friends was invigorating. And I would be pretending if I didn't come here excited about that and praying and asking you to pray for our leadership and for our committees and for the directions that we want to have together. So Dr. Lashana spoke on Sunday night, the first, our new superintendent to be on the first night of our gathering together. And he talked about a great adventure that God had called him to in his life. And he talked about uh, the ups and downs of that life that God had called him to and then invited us as a yearly meeting to, to think of our journey, even though we're kind of, some would say, at a low point right now, that we are still called to God's great adventure that he is leading us towards and invited us to come. And so he spoke on the first night, and I don't think it was planned, but then the second night we had a friend's pastor from one of the churches in California come and basically say, hey, church, are you ready to go? And I was like, yeah, let's go, you know, on this great adventure that our new leader was pointing us towards. And then the next night he talked about God's anointing, and then the president of George Fox University spoke on the last night and said that God gives us a flame and a desire to be used by God. So we've got an exciting adventure that God is calling us all to with his anointing, with his purpose. And the people that were there yearly meeting are coming home to their churches and saying, are you ready for God to do something in you and for God to do something through you? Some of you look like you're ready to take a nap. We need to get AC in here so that you're ready to do something besides sleep. But I think this is why we have gatherings like this that you can go to within some circles and that I can go to as your pastor and get the pulse of what's happening in our churches. And this is the pulse right now that we feel like there's a new adventure, a great adventure that God is calling us to and it will draw the pastors together. It will draw the churches together. I wonder how many of you have regular connections with someone besides a member of First Friends Church. I'm not sure it's very many of you, and I think that that needs to be something that we can encourage and work on, that the church at large can gather together. And so it was just a great week of energy and excitement. Um, Our dorm room at night was, I'm going to guess, about 87 degrees, so I didn't get a whole lot of sleep uh, during any of those nights, but I don't really care. I'm excited. And then, so um, we came back Thursday from yearly meeting, and then Friday Sixteenth wedding anniversary, and so we got to spend the day at the Oregon coast together, and then just kind of collecting everything yesterday, and I'm ready to hit the door running. So in the middle of all this energy and excitement over new leadership and new direction, I, on Wednesday afternoon we just officially elected the superintendent uh, to be. He's you know officially now the guy. Everyone had approved his approval. And uh, I was going to go to the, to the breakout sessions. We have business in the morning till about uh, after lunchtime. And then from 1 to 3 generally, we'd have different workshops that we could go to. On Monday, Trey Doty gave an amazing workshop on um, successful board outcomes and, and attitudes and spirits and learned a lot of great things out of that. And so Wednesday, I was planning on going to one of the workshops after lunch was over and I was all excited, and the Lord just kind of threw me down on the couch. He didn't literally throw me, but he sat me down. Let's say it that way. And just said, all right, Fable. He didn't call me Pete. He called me Fable. So I knew he was really serious. And he said, I know that you're excited, and I know that you're enthusiastic, and you've been talking about this series in James for a while now, and it's time for all this excitement 
and all of this energy and all this passion for you at First Friends to become a practical experience. Let's, let's talk through together what being on fire for God really means. Let's talk about what passionate commitment to Jesus is really like. Let's talk about, as you saw on that opening slide, what authentic faith really looks like. And so I'm grateful for that direction that God has provided me this morning. And we're going to look at this very practical book. Really, it's a letter. We call many of our, many of our um, organized sections of chapters in the Bible books of the Bible. But James was a letter, like many of the other um, sections in Scripture, that was written to a particular people. And we'll talk some more about that down the road. But, but what I love about James, the reason that besides First and Second Peter, for obvious reasons, being my favorite books of the Bible, James is probably a really close second, is because it is down to earth. If you want deep, hardcore theology, uh, James is probably not the best book that you could go to. In fact, Martin Luther said that it was his least favorite book in the Bible, or letter in the Bible, because it seemed to be so simple-minded that it was, just wasn't what he was after. Interesting, though, that renowned theologian Kierkegaard said it was his favorite because of the fact that it made theology live. It made the things sometimes that were hard to process and hard to understand about Christian living easy for everyone to grasp and understand. So I'm excited to be sharing in this book um, letter this morning what many know is the most practical book, letter, in all of Scripture together. And it's probably good with it threatening to be almost 100 degrees today that we're looking at something simple, right? <laughs> so we don't take a really long, drawn-out process of looking over this passage together. So we're going to talk a little bit about, about who James is. We're going to talk about a little bit of the way he identified himself. We're just looking at one verse, James chapter 1, verse 1, just an introduction this morning and then we can go back to our air-conditioned areas. But before we get started, I just thought it would be nice, and you see the quote on the screen I'm going to share in a minute, about what is the purpose of this book. James, I don't think, wanted to sit down and said, I want to write the most practical letter that's going to be in the Bible, because I don't think he knew that there was going to be a Bible as we know it today. But I do think that what James is trying to get at, and, and as he writes this letter to his readers, who we'll talk about in a little while, is he wanted the readers to understand that faith and works have to come together. They have to make sense and they have to be real. And they have to live together in the claims of the Christian church and the claims of the Christian life. So this quote on the screen from Robert Johnston says, James's chief aim is plainly to impress his readers with the conviction that true Christianity is always a great moral power and will therefore reveal itself through growth in the energies and beauties of holiness. That's a pretty deep quote. There's a lot of truth and a lot to think through and process there, so I want to summarize it this way. I think that James's book is filled with a series of tests. And we're going to talk about those tests in the weeks to come. We won't be taking any tests, don't worry. No, no, no written or even verbal Tests, except for the fact that James deals with where the rubber of our faith meets the road. When we talk about Christianity, what does it look like? When the church, when the world looks at the church, what should they see? When we look at our own heart and life, what should be there? 
And so during our study through this book, this letter, we're going to do some heart checkups. Yeah? How many of you ever been to the heart doctor? How many of you ever been to the heart doctor? Okay, a few more of you have. Already been to the doctor and they've checked your heart. They listen to your heartbeat, don't they? To see how it sounds. And if there's anything out of the norm for the way the heart is supposed to operate and sound and work, then they send you to what? A specialist, right? I think that'd probably be Jesus, don't you? He's the specialist of the heart. They examine your heart as many ways as they can to make sure that it's operating at full capacity, at full efficiency, at, at every way the way it was designed to operate. And it's my prayer as we go through this book together that that's what the Holy Spirit would do with you and I. He would check our spiritual pulse. That we, with the Holy Spirit's help, would be able to listen to our own heartbeat, the heartbeat of our spirit, the heartbeat of our soul. It's so easy to say things with our mouth. It's quite another thing to reflect them with our heart and with our life. So see it on the screen this morning. I think that one of the things that James asks us is, what makes you tick? What makes you tick in your walk with God? We do just want to read our passage this morning, the one verse that we're going to look at for a few more minutes together, and it's the book of James chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, this is introduction, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. I love it when even one verse can preach. (laughs) I don't need a whole passage. I just want to share this morning a few thoughts that I have about this, and, and just to get us started, just to get us familiarized with this writer, with the purpose of his writings, and with what he's trying to say, and who he's trying to say it to, and then starting next Sunday, we're going to dig in deep to everything that is in this amazing book. So the first thing I want to talk about is the author, and there's no question as to his name. He says uh, the first word in this book, this letter is James. Now, if you know your Bible well, you know that there are four James mentioned in the New Testament. And he doesn't come out explicitly and say, I'm number three on the list. He doesn't identify himself really much in any way. He just says, this is who I am. It's interesting to me as I think about that because he places no title of importance upon himself. He doesn't try to position for power or influenced by, you know, listing his degrees or his accomplishments. Uh, he doesn't go into this list of all the places that he's been. He just says from a pastor's heart to his congregation, his name. I've met some people who didn't quite have this approach. They let me know their name and then their, their degrees. MDiv, PhD, you know, whatever it is. T-men if they have a theology and ministry and And so who is this guy? He doesn't really give us a whole lot of information about his position or his authority to write this letter. He doesn't list his credentials like sometimes Paul would do in order to help the people to know that were listening who he was. And of course, Paul had a past that kind of followed him wherever he went. Who is this guy, James, that is writing this book? 
So there's a few of them that are mentioned in Scripture, and we're not going to take the time to look up all the references and talk about them all. I can give those to you if you'd like to know them later. But there is a James mentioned in the Bible once, just his name, and we don't know anything else about him. There's James, a brother of John, who was a disciple of Jesus. I think it would be important for us to know that the guy who's writing this letter, who we believe to be the brother of Jesus, was not a disciple. He wasn't one of the 12 because it says later in Acts that James was with the disciples, but he wasn't one of the, one of the 12. He was certainly a disciple of Jesus, but he wasn't one of those 12 inner circle people, one of the sons of thunder that we believe one of the other Jameses was a part of. But he was most likely the brother of Jesus. Now, it speaks to his integrity and his humility that he didn't feel like he needed to share that with anyone. That wasn't what he was concerned about. He was concerned about how you and I lived. He was concerned about the church and their faith, that it was authentic, that it worked itself out in daily life. But he does talk a little bit about his position. Before we get to that, though, we want to talk about who he's writing or is writing to. So more than likely, we know James to be the brother of Jesus. He said in the scriptures he was a pillar of the early church. So this guy is an amazing leader. He is well-known, and people understand that when they read his words and they hear his name, exactly who he is. He was more than likely the leader of the largest church in this day, the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing this letter to his church, but it's interesting at this point, though, they're not all gathered together in one place What did it say in that passage to the 12 tribes that are scattered? Now, normally if you read your Old Testament and you see this idea of 12 tribes, you're thinking the individual nations of Israel all gathered together. But this is the New Testament now. And most scholars agree that he is just referring in this way to the church at large, to God's children that are scattered around the area. He doesn't mean scattered around the world because this is, a, this, is the, this is a letter from the heart of a pastor, the heart of a leader directed towards a specific group of people. And so in many ways, this pastor is writing this letter to his congregation that because of their faithfulness and dedication to the gospel have been forced from their homes. They've been forced from their communities. They've been thrown out of their jobs. They've been run out of town because of their faith and their commitment to the Lord Jesus. So he's not writing to those who came to Sunday morning dressed in their Sunday best. He's writing to a church that in many cases has been running for their lives just to survive. Keep that context in your heart as we go through this. Talking about suffering. And so many times it's within the context of when circumstances go bad in our life, and we all have those. He's writing to a church that's running for its life because of their commitment to the gospel, because of the authenticity of their faith, because of the way they practice practical Christianity, where they go and they tell people about Jesus in a culture that wants nothing to do with it, because they go and they preach the gospel when there's places in our country that, it's, that people are being persecuted. I have a friend who's a pastor in Eugene, and almost every Sunday morning, there's graffiti painted on the walls of their church because of their commitment to stand for truth. Families being separated because 
people making a commitment to Christ. He's writing to a group of people who have a deep level of appreciation for the grace and the mercy of God in their life. And they're hurting. They're lonely. They're afraid. They lack the connection that they used to have. One of the things I love about coming to First Friends is the connection that we have, the familiarity that we have, the intimacy that we share in, in being a part of God's family. And it is my prayer that as we journey through life together, that intimacy and that connection and that trust grows and deepens and becomes more familiar. But everything that these people had known about that was shattered now. And they're alone out there looking for guidance, looking for a word of encouragement. And for some of them, you might get a picture in this passage that they're struggling. Some of them may have even already stumbled. And the temptations and the, and the struggles of living in a fallen world are pressing hard against them. And he talks about suffering. And he talks about our language. And he talks about our willingness to reach out to the lowliest and the needy among us. And we could go on and on through the list of the ways that Paul reminds the church, even though they're scattered, that there are still core principles of your faith that have to stick, that have to stand, and that should stand out as you live your life as someone who claims to love and follow Jesus. That's a little bit of the context of who the author is and who he's writing to. But he does, secondly, talk a little bit about his identity as a servant. He talks about his identity as a servant. He says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So not only did he not lord himself up and claim all the positions of renown that he could have had, I mean, if, if you're the brother of Jesus... I'd say that'd be good bragging rights, don't you? Now, maybe he drove you crazy because every time you did something wrong, your parents would say, now, James, what would Jesus do? So there might have been a little bit of frustration along those human lines, but in the circles of the church, there was no, and there will never be, any greater authority than the name of Jesus, amen? And to claim affinity with him was to point to the authority that would ever be higher than yours. And James could have said, I am brother to the Lord Most High, so you better listen. He could have identified himself and all that he was as a minister because his brother was the Lord himself. Or the fact that he was pastor of the biggest church in town. But James reminds us what the heart of being a believer is all about. And he identified himself with his his lowliness and Jesus' highness. And he says, I am a servant of the Lord Most High. When was the last time you introduced yourself as someone's servant? I'm not sure I've ever done that. In this culture, it wasn't that abnormal, though, for there to be people in place in service of others. Slavery was still a... um, a real part of daily life. And so we get the context for James's willingness to, to go out there on a limb like this because his culture got it. They identified with the fact that still in that day, you may be forced into a kind of bondage. But James doesn't say, God forced me into his service. He says, I am a servant by my own choice and my own decision. It is by my own volition of my will 
that I placed myself in Jesus' hands. So as we process James's introduction to us as a church at Vancouver First Friends, this isn't something that was forced upon him. Jesus didn't wave his magic wand of miracle-working power and make James a follower. There's something in the words of Jesus' disciples. There's something in the message of the gospel in the early church like drew so many, drew, drew James in. The fact that he could be forgiven of his sins. The fact that he could have peace in his heart. The fact that this man spoke about an eternity spent with God. The fact that this man would reach down into the lowliness of his life and all the pain and darkness that had been in his life and change him forever. And he said, yes, I am a servant of the one who changes everything. And I love that picture as this man begins to write to his people is that I am, I believe he's saying, not only am I a servant of the Lord Jesus, but I'm here to serve you. May the words of this letter be of service to you. And so I want to ask us quickly this morning, who are we serving? To whom have we aligned our lives with? To whom have we given our will to? In the original language, this word has a meaning of absolute belonging. That there literally would be nothing that you could do to escape the authority of the one put over you. James is saying, he is mine and I am his, and I will forever belong only to him. It's a beautiful testimony by way of introduction for everyone to know that he was not there for his own acclaim. He was not there so that his book would be called the most practical book in the Bible. He was there with one and only one purpose, to serve his master, the Lord Jesus. What purpose do you have in your life? What is the main goal in living every day? Is it to please yourself, to do your own things, or is it to serve the one who gave his life so beautifully for you? Nothing mattered more to James than laying down his life, literally, for his Lord. So we know from scholars that James is probably the first book written in the New Testament. There could be some disagreement based on um, when, when you believe he died. There are, most scholars believe it was written around 44 A.D., so really soon after Jesus died. Really soon, just a number of years after he died. And shortly after writing this book, James died himself. He was one of the first martyrs of the early church. Stephen was the first martyr, but as an apostle... Many writers believe that James was the first apostle who was martyred for his faith. So he was, he was out there on the forefront of, of the Christian world in his day. And there's two traditions. They say either he was stoned to death or he was pushed off the cliff at the temple. Talk about a bad day at church. Watch your back. But that's the kind of impact early leaders had. They turned... Like it was said of Paul and his brothers, the world upside down because they had the true gospel. So that's a little bit about James and about the, the context of his letter, the intent. Of, but really, I wanted to talk about the heart of the man. Identified as belonging to Jesus. Willing to commit his life to his cause no matter what would come his way. And he even gave his life for the gospel. How committed are we to the message of grace? to the ministry of God's love in our world today? Or do we try to hide from it as much as possible 
and just squeak it in when it's safe. If I felt anything among my brothers and sisters at Northwest Yearly Meeting this past week is that God is sending us. God did not say when he called his disciples, come into this little building and do my work. He said to go and to make disciples. And James was a man who was sent. And may God put that passion inside of each of us. And so lastly this morning, because I know I told you we could get to the air conditioning soon, is this idea of joy. Now you may not see that in that one short verse of greeting, but this word greeting in the original language really means joy to you. It means it is so good to be able to talk to you. It means that I am so enthusiastic about what I'm about ready to say, you could do it another way. If you go and you have someone and you sit down for dinner and they bring you a drink, one of the first things many of us do is we say cheers. It is so good to be here and is so happy to talk to you that I am so overwhelmed with this opportunity that I have to speak with you. And so I just want to challenge you in the heat of the day with all the other things that are going on in in your life and that are going on in mine, is to be reminded of the gift of the message of God's love. These people were miles and miles from home. Maybe, I don't even know if they had food to eat that night. There was little to no connection within the family of God, and so James is literally this letter so they can hear from God for the first time in maybe a long time. There wasn't a First Friends Church on the corner of 65th Avenue and 4th Plain to go to. There was no spiritual, physical home for them. And so they would gather in, 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 in what they could find or think of as the safest place they could be, a dark room or a dark alley somewhere or in someone's home where no one else knew who they were. And this letter from James was sent from the heart of a pastor who longed to connect with his long-lost friend. These people who had sacrificed everything so they could stay true to God and live to tell a story about it. But there's another side of this. is He is, he is yearning for them to, to read the Word of God. He is hungry for them to hear about the message of how much Jesus loves them and how much He wants them to be living a life of authenticity because He knows the struggle that you and I have to go out of church on Sunday morning. We talked about a couple weeks ago about all the things that God has placed upon it in our life and taught us to keep the lid on it, on the joy, you know, so we can carry it out through the week. So we can take the things that I've learned and gained from Northwest Yearly Meeting this week and, and, and let that work in me and live in me and breathe in me and continue in me as I go throughout the week and throughout the weeks and months and years to come. So James literally writes this letter as a, as a gift of love to the people that he's lost, at least for now. So I said, all right, Peter, so how does that affect you as a pastor? You go out of this sanctuary today and you go to your homes, and for many of you during the week, I, I may not see you until next Sunday. And if you go on vacation, then I won't see you till the Sunday after that. And then the Sunday after that, I'm going on vacation, and it may be a month before we see each other again. And so the, the, the reality for a pastor is, is that 
in order for his congregation to live fully, committed, surrendered, authentic, active, life-changing lives, then they have to be connected to the Word of God. It has to live in them and breathe in them and consume them and fill them and direct them and guide them each and every step of their way. And I think that when James says this introduction, he says, church, this is my desire be a blessing to you as a servant of the Lord to tell you the words that God has given. And I don't know how else we can introduce this book than to point to the heart of this amazing man who someday in heaven will tell us the funniest stories about Jesus we've ever heard because he grew up with them. But until that day comes, we're going to spend the next number of weeks talking together about what true Christianity looks like. What makes you tick? What fills you up? What gives you energy? What gets you excited? If anything gets you excited about your faith, and if there isn't anything that gets you excited about your faith, then we need to look at some of the reasons why. And James is very readily able and just gifted by God to point to these different areas in our life. It's our speech or it's your willingness to reach out to the lost, or it's how he handles suffering, or all kinds of different ways that he looks at our life and brings those tests back home. So I just want to invite you by way of introduction this morning into the heart of this neat guy, this brother of Jesus who was the leader of what many believe the largest church of its day, who's lost his congregation in many ways, and yet still desires to know them, and for them to be loved and for them to be filled. And so he says, if you're going to have that, then you're going to study the Word. And I want us to commit together during these weeks to study the Word. Don't wait until next Sunday morning to open up the book of James again and start reading. So here's my invitation. Or if you like to be challenged, we'll do the word challenge to you. Read James chapter 1 three times this week. You thought I was going to say once, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, man. Sorry about that. Sorry, not sorry. If we're going to really study the Word of God, then we need to read it more than once. So I would just ask you, read it the first time. Maybe maybe read it a little bit quickly just to get an overview of of everything that that it encompasses. Don't speed read it, but don't take forever. Just read it. Maybe do it tonight or tomorrow. And then in a couple days, I'd invite you to open the book again, and I'll, I'll do the same. And say, okay, Lord, let's, let's go a little bit slower now. Maybe what are a couple things that might jump out to you in the week to come? So you've got two exposures to this first book, first chapter of the letter of James by Wednesday, say. And then sometime before Sunday morning, not midnight Saturday night, sometime before Sunday, read it one more time. And I'm excited as we journey through this together that when we study the Word of God, thing, we've all had it happen. All of us could come up here and say, man, this is how I read this five times in my life, and all of a sudden this new thing came out. So three times the, book, the first chapter of James before we get together next Sunday. Let's stand and we'll close in a word of prayer.